Good evening and welcome to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Hunter Combs and again we have Dr. Philip Stott with us in the studio to speak with us on creation science tonight and looking at sort of the difference between the secular science and science that goes in line with God's word. Thank you for being here, Dr. Stott. It's a great pleasure to be here. And it's really an honor to have you here. As we mentioned last time, he's been here uh, with us at our Biblical Worldview Summit, and he's now here to share with you on radio. And it's been such a privilege to really hear him talking about how the Word of God perfectly coincides with science. It's as if God actually created the world as he said he did in the scriptures. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) And Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. And Dr. Stott, would you just begin by telling us what is creation science? When we talk about creation science, what is it that we're talking about? And how is this different from the secular sciences we see today? Creation science is the science uh, of Newton and Kepler, the, the original early scientists. They followed what's called the scientific method, which was mm. put forward by Francis Bacon. Now, Francis Bacon put forward the reason for the scientific method that nature carries the stamp of the creator, but man's reason carries the stamp of his own folly. So it doesn't do to just reason about what the world is really like. You have to look at it. You have to measure it. You have to see how it really works instead of thinking about how it works and then assuming that you're right. So he set up the scientific method where everything you do, you have to check against experiment. Hmm. Now, that was a real novelty because before that time, people had the idea, well, if it's reasonable, then it must be right. Hmm. Now, Because man's reason is not always right, real science made real progress because it actually did experiments to find out how the real world works. Now, doing this was very productive in finding out how the creation really does work by studying it and measuring it instead of thinking about it. It was possible to make real advances And um, things like telescopes and steam engines and all kinds of useful things resulted. Then atheists who had no uh, reason for doing the scientific method, after all, they don't believe in a creator. And they believe things happened just by chance and things came about Just, well, that's the way it is. Now, that kind of worldview, you have no reason for thinking that looking into the creation, you can find patterns, you can find natural laws, Mm. and then use those natural laws to make advances. But they found out that the scientific method does work, and they wanted to be a part of it. And for a while, they were quite content 
to stick within the parameters of Bacon's scientific method, but they really didn't like the concept that the creation is the way a creator made it. And their atheistic worldview really didn't like this. And to start off with the Creator, grated with them. They wanted to know how things had happened without a Creator. Hmm. And so they started um, taking over the, the whole discipline of creation of of science because there are more atheists around than Christians Mm. and they started imposing their ideas about what should be done in science and gradually started pushing Christians out of the control they had had. Now one thing that a scientist has to have is some basis on which to build. Now, the Christians built on the Creator. The things are as they are because the Creator created them. Mm. Well, if you don't believe in a Creator, then you have to have some um, theory of how things started without a Creator. And so the secular scientists started thinking, well, there must have been ways where life started without a creator and we just need to look and we'll find it and there must be a way that the universe came into being without a creator creating it and we want to look into how that happened so the whole emphasis of science under secularism has been towards well how did this creation start how can it have come into being? How how did material matter come into being? So they had to start uh, putting forward theories like the Big Bang, hmm. where originally there was nothing, and then somehow this nothing exploded <laughs> um, into something. And once you've got something, they they opted for hydrogen. Once this. Uh, explosion could produce the simplest material, hydrogen, then there must be ways for the hydrogen to come together (laughs) and form other molecules and for them to gradually come together and form more and more complex things and eventually lead to life. Mm. And so they instituted a whole set of uh, experiments, a whole set of ideas to see if they could find out how things could develop from just hydrogen and just dead material Mm. and eventually become life and eventually become people. Mm. So it is a completely different focus. What was considered science in the early days has nothing at all to do with origins. Mm. You assume the creator created it and now you want to know how it works. You want to find out the scientific laws which show how the creation really works. But with secular science, it is so important for them to have some kind of basis in naturalism that the most important thing is finding out why is there something here? Why is life here? Because without a creator, 
there has to be some other way for it to come into being. Hmm. And that is the whole focus of secular science. Hmm. And it's not real science at all because it does not follow the scientific method. Hmm. The scientific method assumes the creator. Hmm. And when you think about this whole Big Bang theory, I mean, the fact that you can have nothing, what is nothing? Nothing is complete. It's negation of anything. It's not some atoms bouncing around. It's not some open space and some goo. It's nothing. And I've, I think it's the atheist Lawrence Krauss. I've heard him speak about what this nothingness was. And he's like, it's actually sort of a whole lot like something. <laughs> Basically, it's like this quantum vacuum. Well, a quantum vacuum isn't nothing. That's something. And so you have this whole them trying to get around nothingness. But even if it did come out of nothing, which is completely nonsensical, you don't have things randomly popping into existence in the middle of the air. You can't actually do an experiment to see, to recreate that. Well, let's just take this little box of nothingness and do an experiment. It's nonsensical. Um, I mean, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, look, there is a theory called quantum theory, which which requires that um, on an extremely small scale, a scale so small nobody can get there, nobody can examine it. It's millions, billions of times smaller than atom. So mm. you can't see it. But on quantum theory, it must exist. Mm. And so if you can have this, what uh, is called a, a quantum wormhole, and then something suddenly pops into being and disappears again. Mm. It comes into existence for a minute fraction of a billionth of a millionth of a second. Uh, it pops into existence and then disappears again. Well, if it pops into existence for uh, a tiny fraction of a section, second, as required by their theory, mm. surely it could pop into existence and and stay there. Mm. Now, it's never happened and nobody can demonstrate it, but, well, surely it must be able to happen. And if it can happen on a scale of a um, million times less than an atom, well, maybe it could happen on the scale of bigger than an atom. And, well, when you go along with all these ifs and ifs and ifs, then you can end up with everything coming from nothing. <laughs> but the amazing thing is this science doesn't actually correlate very well with reality. I mean, looking at the whole atheistic scientific worldview, I shouldn't even call it scientific worldview, the atheistic worldview, there is no God. Therefore, everything's random. It's Everything happens by accident. Why, why are, do we even have the assumption that there are consistent laws in the universe without a lawgiver? So how can we even assume that tomorrow the laws of gravity are going to function the same as they did yesterday if there's not a moral law, if there's not a lawgiver who puts these things in motion and sustains them and keeps them? I mean, on an atheistic worldview, it doesn't actually make sense for you to have a consistent basis for the scientific method. No, this is why the scientific method did not and could not start from an atheistic point of view. Mm -hmm. You have to have the point of view, well, if there is a creator mm -hmm. and he is the creator shown in the Bible, then he is consistent, he makes laws, mm -hmm. he is the same yesterday, today and forever. And therefore, 
if he made this creation, it's reasonable to think that he made it with laws which govern it. And if that's so, it makes sense to look for his laws. Mm. And that is exactly the way science started. Now, the atheist has no reason for believing except that he has seen by looking at what the Christians did in developing science mm. that it does work that way. So their, uh, their way of coming to it is, well, it just happens to work that way. <laughs> <laughs> Which is quite amazing. It just happens to work, but they're really sort of building on the backs of all these Christian scientists. And originally, science was a Christian uh, field of study. When you're speaking about Francis Bacon sort of discovering the scientific method, roughly what time was the scientific method That was born? in 1620. 1620. But now the atheists, in trying to get out of that, say, oh, but there was science back to the Greeks. Mm. Well, now, it's true that there were people who made observations, they, would, they dealt with mathematics, they come up with hypotheses which one, one could call um, a, a, a way, an elementary part of science mm. because science requires that you make observations and you come up with hypotheses to explain. Now, the Greeks didn't do what the essential step of science, and that is testing. Hmm. They would put forward a hypothesis, but because their reality was controlled by all sorts of gods and goddesses hmm. who got involved in the world <laughs> and did things to spite each other and hmm. did things to enable them to um, have affairs with handsome heroes and fair damsels, <laughs> they got involved in such a way that it really would not be possible to do experiments. You might be interfering with the gods and things might not happen the same tomorrow as they did today hmm. because, well, the gods might be doing something different. Hmm. So they never did theories to test their hypotheses. Hmm. So the hypotheses that... Aristotle put forward as physics were never tested. They were mm. taken because they seemed reasonable. When the scientific method came into effect, the Christians said, well, let's test it. Mm. And they did tests to um, look at Aristotle, Aristotle's uh, hypotheses and found they were just plain wrong. So it wasn't science the Greeks were doing. It was a sort of proto-science, which never got round to real science, which is testing the hypotheses to see if they're true. Hmm. So what would you say to an average secularist or atheist today who says, well, you know, science proves atheism. We know the world's billions of years old. Science proves it. And Here's, here's all the evidence. Look, the, the science has all shown us that uh, we've been here for billions and billions of years and the Big Bang and all these other things. How, how would you respond to someone? I mean, because I'm sure there are people listening to this program who they, they hear at university, they go to one of these universities and they just tell them over and over again, oh, here's why Christianity is false. Here's, here's why evolution is a fact. Here's all these things. Science proves it. Yes. Well, the thing is that secular science doesn't stick to the uh, scientific method, one of the things they had to cancel out is if 
your hypothesis is proven to be wrong. If there is evidence that it cannot be true, you must abandon it. Now, the secular scientists have taken that out. They've, well, they've effectively got rid of the whole scientific method, including you have to test your theories against uh, experiments. And if those experiments show it's wrong, you have to abandon it. So they have replaced that with what's called the best in the theory, uh, the best in the field theory. Hmm. So if you've got a theory like the Big Bang hmm. and you're happy with that theory, but evidence crops up to show that it's wrong, you don't have to abandon that theory. That theory stays valid until you have got another theory which is better. Hmm. And once you've got another theory, then you can abandon the one you've got and say, OK, now we've got the best in the field theory, which is different. Hmm. So once a theory is the best in the field, it cannot be abandoned however much evidence there is against it. Hmm. Now, there are some scientists who have been very distressed um, by this. There's, for example, Soren Lovetrop, who is a, a Scandinavian scientist. And he said, what shocked me is to find that the people who are promoting evolution know it's false. They don't believe it. Hmm. Now, they don't believe it, but they still have to say this is the truth because it's the best in the field theory. I've recently had a scientist uh, turn up and say, but you're wrong. There is no proof against evolution. It is the truth. Well, it is the truth as far as secular science goes. It is the best in the field theory. And hmm. the best in the field theory is the truth. <laughs> Even though there's all this evidence against it, hmm. you have to believe it. And if you don't, then you're not considered a scientist. Hmm. If you publicly state that you don't believe it, you can be thrown out of your job. You will not be allowed to publish your papers in the journals. You will not be considered a scientist because only material now published in the secular scientists' own journals is called science, everything else is not. Hmm. And any article that you submit to these secular um, journals has to be censored. Hmm. Now, they don't call it censorship, they call it peer review. And hmm. if you put anything in there which does not satisfy the secular scientific establishment, they will not publish it. Hmm. So only that which fits in with the secular scientists' best in the field theories can even get published. Hmm. So it sounds almost like they're more looking for someone who agrees with their worldview. You almost have to agree with the secular atheistic worldview. Well, if there's a better theory that allows God in there, a God who creates and has a consistent way he deals with the world. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, no, no, no. We can't let God in. We can't let a divine foot in the door. <laughs> well, yes, all the secular theories like evolution, the Big Bang, millions of years, 
it has all been shown to be false. Mm. But those things are the best in the field theory. So although they are thrown, thrown, shown to be false, they cannot be, ab uh, they cannot be abandoned. Mm. They are still the truth mm. of secular science. Now, if you're going to stick with secular science, you're going to have to put up with the fact that you are dealing with lies. Now, mm. I don't think that can be very uh, satisfying, you know, to know that you're dealing with theories that have been disproved. It can't be very satisfactory. And when you look at what's really happening, you can see that the Bible is right on all these things. The Bible tells you how creation was created. Well, you look at all the evidence, it confirms it. The Bible shows you that the creatures were created. You look at the complexity of what's there and all the science dealing with what we're looking at shows that such complexity can only come from intelligence. Hmm. So everything is proving the Bible, but secular science does not accept biblical um, explanations. Hmm. They are not secular explanations, so they're not acceptable. You cannot accept them because they are not secular theories. Hmm. So it really comes down to you're just not agreeing with what they have to say. You're not agreeing with their worldview. It's almost as if science, the secular science, has almost become a religion of sorts. You have the parameters. You have your holy book of what the science say, says, and you must agree or else you're cast out. Uh, you're put out on church discipline, if you will. You're That's not allowed right. back in. No, this is... It's become so obvious. There was a very well-known um, secular scientist, uh, secular philosopher, Anthony Flew, and he was the darling of the atheist worldview. He was looked upon with great respect by secular science. But then he came to admit that it cannot be true. And he said, look, evolution cannot account for the fact that one single cell can contain more information than all the volumes of the Encyclopaedia Britannica put together. There must be a creator. There hmm. must be an intelligent creator. He was immediately thrown out by everybody. And Richard Dawkins, he, who is one of the real promoters of evolution, and there he was saying, oh, he's a... He's a sellout. Just because we don't have an explanation now doesn't mean to say we won't have an explanation. Now, he's admitting they haven't got an explanation. Mm. He's admitting the stories they have got are lies. Mm. Well, because all the best in the field stories are lies. Mm. But his excuse for putting forward these lies is, well, we will at some stage find an, <laughs> in, uh, a naturalistic explanation. Of course, they never will. Hmm. And science itself has proved that you never will, hmm. but they don't want to admit it. Hmm. And you hear many atheists accusing Christians of being believing in God of the gaps. Anywhere there's a gap in science, you just put God in there. 
But I've heard others, apologists, say it's actually science of the gaps. It's this atheistic science that there are these huge gaps in knowledge, and they're just okay with it. And they believe, well, just one day we'll get enough information that we'll be able to fill those gaps. We'll come up with another theory, another discovery, where we'll then have all the knowledge. And in the meantime, the best in theory is what we accept. The best in the field theory, we accept it, even though the evidence shows it's not true. Mm. And the unfortunate thing is today, this isn't only in the secular world. This is actually making its way into the church. I mean, you have theologians, you have Christians who are actually believing this old earth theory. Many even conservative uh, Bible-believing scholars who believe in an old earth. Uh, and so, I mean, this is, this is a real issue we're facing today in our world, in the church. Today, science is defined as what the scientific establishment accepts. Hmm. It used to be, if it's science, if it follows the scientific method. Now it is science if it is approved of by the secular humanist um, authorities. Hmm. So everybody believes this stuff is real science. Everybody was brought up on um, Newton and Kepler and the the scientists who really were doing genuine science. And you can believe that stuff. And they still think science is like that. The secular humanists never advertise that their theories have been disproved. Mm. They never advertise that. And so everybody looking at this thinks, well, it must be true. Mm. Because that's what they're told is true. They're not told this is the best in field in the field theory. That's why it's accepted as truth. And the evidence against it is pushed aside. Mm. So you really have to understand the philosophical assumptions, the worldview assumptions that are going into the creation of the modern scientific field, if you will. Yes. Well, we have just a couple more minutes of time, and I'd like to just let you guys know that if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Stott, he does have a YouTube channel uh, called Creation Science with Philip Stott. So if you'd like to delve a bit deeper and hear a bit more of these kind of talks from Dr. Stott, you can go to his YouTube channel. That's Creation Science with Philip Stott. Is there anything you'd like to say about that, Dr. Stott? Yes, I think you need to actually type in Creation Science with Philip Stott YouTube channel. Okay, Creation Science with Philip Stott YouTube channel. And there's also a webpage that you can go to access some of his articles, Reformation Christian Ministries, or you can go to refcm.org. You can look under the tab that says Science and Resources, and you'll find a section that says Scripture and Science with Dr. Philip Stott, and you can go more in-depth with some of his articles there. That's Reformation Christian Ministries if you Google it, and look up the section on Scripture and Science. And you'll find lots of just a treasure trove of information if you want to go deeper on these topics. Dr. Stott, is there any final closing thought you'd like to leave our listeners with tonight? Yes, I think if there's anybody who takes the time to look at some of those videos on the YouTube channel, they're only short. They are um, very easy to understand and very easy to suggest that you're non-Christian friends take a look at. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We do pray that this would be a blessing to those of you who have been sharing with maybe non-believers and those who don't know the Lord. 
May you be a shining light for Christ in this world who is lost and hopeless without Christ. And that people would see that truly the Bible is the word of God. It contains the truth of the way the world actually is. Thank you so much. Good night and God bless.